Welcome to the Open Source Way. This is SAP's podcast series in which we'll talk about the difference that open source can make. In each episode, we'll talk to a different expert and we'll talk to them about why they do it the open source way. I'm your host, Carsten Hohager, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to Marika Marschalkowski and Frank Essenberger about the Cloud SDK. Frank works as a senior developer in the SAP Cloud SDK team in Potsdam. And like many other colleagues at SAP, he has a science background as a physicist. He says that besides SAP and his family, he doesn't really do much uh, because that takes up all of his time uh, with his two children that keep him rather occupied. Marika is a senior developer in the SAP Cloud SDK team in Potsdam as well. She studied IT systems engineering at the Hassel Plattner Institute, and her most unusual hobby is ice skating. But beyond that, there is something that they also sometimes, or actually every day for all I know, uh, do together. Marika, can you tell us about your special team events? Yeah, uh, we play half an hour of Doppelkopf every day. And it's actually a lot of fun. It's, an, uh, it's a game that usually uh, old people play in bars in Germany. Um, but it keeps us together and also through those times in Corona. D did you just say old people play that in bars? Usually, <laughs> from what I saw. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, maybe the classic card games have a tendency of being forgotten. That might be right. Uh, did you know if there is even an English translation to that? Doppelkopf, doublehead? Doublehead, I don't know. Uh, or, or sheep's head, because it's called Schafskopf as well, isn't it? I think it's a similar game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Schafskopf is almost the same, but with a slightly South German touch. So I think in, in, in Bavaria and uh, Baden-Württemberg, they, they call it Schafskopf, but it's not 100% the same, but... Okay, okay. I, I, I wouldn't know. I, I've always been a Scott player, of which I also don't know if there is a translation to that. But we're not here to talk about card games, right? Uh, we're here to talk about the cloud SDK. So let's maybe start with a short description, if you can do that in two, three sentences. Frank, maybe, what is the, the cloud SDK? Yeah, sure. So I try to keep it short. So um, it's a library, an NPM library, which helps you to develop web applications on SAP's business technology platform. Okay, uh, I saw uh, when there is a Java and a JavaScript SDK, is that the same approach or is it like actually the same thing or how do we separate? Yeah, so the Java version was there first. This all evolved from a product called RealSpend where we realized, okay, there are certain building blocks which are most likely relevant for all developers doing web applications. And this was written in Java, so the Java SDK was first. And then we adapted it um, for JavaScript, TypeScript world. Um, and we aim to have feature parity between the two. But um, in general, the Java team has sometimes, sometimes a bit ahead because they, they simply started, started before. But I think we're now in a spot where we have almost feature parity, I would say. Right, Marika? Mostly, yes. And there are some parts that we will probably never do, um, like they support um, the older um, SAP NEO environment on SAP business technology platform. Um, so that's, uh, that will never happen for the SDK for JavaScript. 
Now, SDK uh, for Java kind of sounds familiar, not only from like last year. Uh, so I just assume there has been a history to that. Can you? Is there like a line of predecessors uh, to the to the current SDK approach? Yes, you could say so. Um, so as Frank already mentioned, the SDK or the SAP Cloud SDK for Java, first of all, started um, as a carved out part from, from a product that we developed um, on the back then SAP Cloud Platform. Um, so when we started working on that, this was one of the first cloud applications that we developed. And um, this uh, product was called SAP RealSpend. And we realized that what we're doing is probably something that many people want to do, which is um, building a cloud application on the SAP business technology platform today and um, connect to the SAP S4 HANA systems. And um, we saw that um, there is quite a lot of boilerplate code that might be necessary for this. Um, so this was carved out. And back then the name of the SDK was actually SAP S4 HANA Cloud SDK because the idea was to enable this connectivity specific, specifically, so for extensions. Um, now it is a bit different, so the scope is a bit broader. Um, we do not support only S4 HANA, but also other systems, and therefore um, we changed the name. Okay. Now, Frank, can you briefly explain, because it works with that, uh, what NPM, NPM libraries are? Um, sure. So um, NPM stands for Node Package Manager, right? So this is the dependency or package manager when you run node and node is the right the standard engine when you execute javascript outside of your browser so when you in general it's then backend some some web application right which also runs on javascript you execute this with a node and then the the tool to um to uh, manage your dependencies is npm it's similar to to maven in the java world so it's a standard server where you can get all your dependencies from and there we publish our SDK. Okay, so uh, the SDK manifests itself as MP NPMs or NPM is just the term for the for the package manager, right? And when you when you just include in your in your in your project, you want to include any de dependency. I don't know what what can be there. Um, What's the standard NPM dependency? YAGS. HTTP client. Yeah, HTTP clients, right? So somebody has developed a nice library. So you must get it into your project in a convenient way. So you don't want to go to the um, to the, the homepage and download some binaries or so and put it into your project. But you want to have a server, some repository where you can get with the version, spe version specifier the version of the HTTP client or the latest version of the cloud SDK, so you can have nice S4 connectivity. And you then say, yeah, okay, NPM, here this repository, please give it to me. I think this is mainly hosted by Microsoft, who pays for all the hosting. So everybody can, can every open source project and so on can publish libraries there. And if the people like them, they can download and use them in their project, depending on the license. Yeah, also the like in, in, in Unix, when you have your your distribution you have different package managers like uh, apt or or some other package managers the same right as a central repository in the internet where the libraries lie and you can just access them from there 
Okay, okay. I, I, I guess everyone out there who's listening uh, knows anyway, and I'm the only non-developer in this podcast uh, on talking and audience side anyway. Uh, so let's maybe uh, instead go for, an, for a deeper look uh, into the SDK. Marika, can you explain in more detail what the cloud SDK does? Yeah, so first of all, the Cloud SDK consists of a lot of NPM libraries, so the packages that Frank just described. And um, currently, if you look at the total of the libraries, we're around 300, I think. So it's quite a lot of libraries, although the most important ones are a handful. I think it's around five. Um, so basically, you can, uh, you can um, separate the SDK into three major parts. And the most interesting for today is probably the one that is open source because not everything of the SDK is open source. Um, and the major part that is open source is basically what we call the, uh, the core and the generators. The core um, is responsible for connectivity on the SAP business technology platform. Um, so allowing uh, connectivity through the destination and access UAA service, for example, and also allowing or giving a basis for um, clients that we allow to generate with the generators. The generators are mostly meant to support um, to support usage of APIs. So um, SAP provides APIs to access different kinds of systems. Um, as I mentioned before, historically we were focused on S4HANA, but there are other systems and other services to, um, to look at. And um, our first generator, one, the one that we have had for a while now, um, so, or allows you as a user to generate your own client to access um, to access those APIs in a type typed manner um, to access them from code, which is a bit easier than than building up URLs on your own. So basically, it's a sophisticated um, URL builder for specific services that you create. So a client to access those services. Um, and the the first one that we had historically for a long time now is. Um, meant for OData, um, both majorly um, existing versions, v2 and v4. And the second one is for Open API, which is the open standard for APIs, which is also um, covering a broader scope than, than OData, I think, also outside of SAP. And um, that is the big or most important part, uh, the part that is open source and is available under the um, Apache 2.0 license. Then there are two other quite big parts, but those um, those are a bit different, or actually one big part and one smaller part, I would say. Um, the second part is pre-generated libraries. So we basically use our own generators to pre-generate libraries for the SAP services that we that I just mentioned. And those are closed source. Um, so you they're free, you can use them without charge, but those um, are SAP IP and therefore um, have to be under a different license, which is the SAP developer license. And those are actually the major parts. Um, there's a third part, which is very new to the SDK for JavaScript. Um, Java has had that for a longer time already. Um, those are extensions. So currently we have one extension, which is meant to provide um, libraries for uh, currency conversion. And um, this is also open source. Okay, so like in summary for stupid me, uh, it's SAP has an API, uh, and then with the 
generator, you either pre have that pre-generated for use in the SDK or uh, users of the SDK can generate themselves the access to that API into the SDK set. Exactly. And you can generate this not only for your for the for SAP APIs because there it might make sense to just use the pre-generated libraries um, that are available through the NPM registry that that Frank mentioned, or um, um, or generate your own for your own services or services that we do not provide potentially. Okay. Okay. I think I got it. So perhaps I can I uh, I would like to comment there that for the S4 system, for example, we have. I mean, generated all available OData services, a few hundreds, you, you can just download them. But if you, for example, have your custom own service, right? And of course, for this one, we cannot offer something. You can generate off. They added a lot of fields and, and additional content to an existing service. This is also possible if you have not a cloud, but an on-premise S4 system. It also makes sense to regenerate and then you have all the fields nicely typed and then all the new what you added there in a, in a nice type safe way. Um, or if you, like Marika mentioned, if you have a, any other system, which is OData or REST Open API, you can use your the generator to get a nice client. Okay, and as we're talking about this being an open source project, would generators be something that people who use it uh, then provide back or contribute, I mean? Mm, I mean, we had a, 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 a library which goes a bit into the direction. It did not use the generator. It was this currency conversion use case where another team used parts of the SDK and 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 it became part of the of the um, SDK. The problem there is that's also the reason why we uh, we don't ship the 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 generated client under this open source library. That, for example, the business partner this business partner API is. I mean, I mean, legal totals is intellectual property of SAP, right? So this uh, uh, summation of first name, last name, date of birth, and all these—it's that's why we have the split. So all the the tools for generation and usage are open source, but the specific data model is published under the developer license. You also find it in NPM, but with a different license. So if somebody would, some other SAP colleague, on would like to publish it. They would either have to change their their license in a way that it's also open source, this library, this API definition. Um, yeah, or yeah, we cannot put it under the same project because I think you have a license per project and not per per snippet of code, unfortunately. I see there are some issues to watch uh, when licenses are concerned. What was actually SAP's motivation to run the SDK as an open source project in the first place? This came mainly from us, from the developers. Um, and I would see perhaps three main things which, which put us into the direction. So one of the, um, one of the main thing was that we wanted a more direct contact with the customer. So when you have open source, you're in the internet, everybody can see your code base. And if a user or customer has then an issue with our SDK, cannot connect or whatever, they directly can make up an issue, ping us, can have a look at the code, can understand what's perhaps happening. And this is not the case when you're not open source because then you have different support channels which are much more indirect. And this is also true for the release process. So when you're open source, right, we are on GitHub. 
and everybody can just see when we make every week or every day it depends what we what we have done on new features uh, release we just see ah there's a new version are ah, cool what are release notes what are the new features and the last thing i would say that i mean this is also something i i mean learned a bit from the other big i mean at least very prominent open source project this corona one app right this is also from sap is also open source this public exposure is very good when it comes to your code quality because as a developer you are constantly exposed so you try it, you know i mean every pr every comment i write could be read by other people i mean it's it's there right i comment on uh, something from a colleague or i see a potential issue also other people could see it um, and you don't want to uh, right if you are a, a handyman and your work is uh, publicly exposed uh, exposed in the showroom uh, you want to present your best work because it's very transparent okay so i i i i see we're kind of getting into the into the general open source argument here right so that actual quality control and uh, support is better in the community than if you have an x to y uh, defined relationship right um Speaking of our classic customers, though, uh, have they adopted that perspective in your experience? Because uh, it seems that we sometimes still have customers out there who prefer the classic uh, support channels for things where they have a guaranteed answering time and so on, and they rely more on that than on a community. Um, I would say that at least for us, I can say that most of the issues come through GitHub issues, um, so directly through the open source channels. Um, and most of the issues are also interactive, so people are asking back and uh, and are interested in the responses. Of course, sometimes people just dump something and then uh, it gets lost. Maybe it wasn't so important or something like that. Um, usually, if you use the classic support channels, um, then you also you're also definitely interested in the response. So I have never seen that somebody then forgot the ticket there. So that that doesn't happen that much. Um, but I would say the load is higher for us on on GitHub issues. Um, in comparison to Java, um, to our Java brother, basically, we are um, we are the only ones open source. So Java is actually also planning to maybe follow us sometime in the future. We don't know that yet, but. Uh, they're at least uh, looking at this and they're actually interested in that. Um, and they, of course, get much more um, much more support through that. Although they support other channels like um, Stack Overflow, but I think um, their main support channel currently is still the classic um, SAP support channel. And being open source um, also leads people to acting um, open source when when asking for support. Yeah, so it seems in the in a developer community, basically, it doesn't really matter if you're on the side of the customer or the provider or the consumer or the provider, really. But everyone, as you just said, lives it open source, right? Yes. Okay, cool. We actually uh, were worried about that, uh, that it might be an issue. And th therefore, th that's also why we definitely support the classic support channels. Um, but we also prefer the open source channels just because it's more interactive and more clear and direct. And you can actually point out specific lines in code where people think there might be an issue or something like that. So that's very helpful. Well, then that seems to work. Um, 
let me ask the other way around. Uh, were there any specific issues along the way when you went open source with that? Or what were the biggest pitfalls that you can basically hint, point others to that they can avoid if they are thinking about open sourcing something? Yeah, so I think what you have to do before definitely is to to look into your code and, and inspect if you have some legal issues, right? So what I mentioned before was this parts which are intellectual property um you have to be careful i mean there's a process in, in within sap that you start with a let's say staging repository which is um it's on github but it's not publicly visible and this can converge and at a certain time when you think okay now everything is safe right i don't have any Right. For example, in documentation, any any references to internal systems or any backlog references to internal communication or or some secrets which you are definitely not supposed to show in the in the in the open world. When you converge there, you can say yes, we are ready, and then this staging repository becomes public. Um, and what I think we definitely underestimated a bit was the how much information we use in our daily planning and our daily backlog, which you cannot expose. Um, and this is also a thing, I mean, where I would like to have more transparency that the users could also see what, what's our backlog, what we are currently working on. But there's so much internal information in our backlog that we cannot make it public. Perhaps this will change uh, when more and more parts of SAP's cloud products ecosystem become open source yeah i guess i mean it starts with the issue that as soon as you publish your backlog uh, somebody might take this and consider it as promised delivery uh right yeah i mean there, there you could still i mean there could at least write a big disclaimer but i mean very often i mean we have then internal things with the release with our sap internal infrastructure discussions um mentioning names from other colleagues Right, referencing back and forth emails and so on. GitHub has to do some support that you can always like blackening stuff, uh, marking as that confidential or so that it's not visible. And we started with a closed repository, and of course there are then things which you just dumped. And yeah, this is of course not supposed to. I mean, you have to find all these points uh, before you go public. Okay, Marika will probably have to add like. A lot of detail here? Uh, maybe not a lot of detail. Um, Frank already gave a good picture, I think. We, of course, have uh, tools that SAP requires for products to be there. Um, there are standards that products of SAP have to fulfill. And these product or product standards also apply to, um, to open source products, of course. And internally, we have certified um, tools and also tools that SAP pays for um, expensive services that are running and doing stuff to check your code. Um, and this, of course, is not available in the open source world, so it's not even reachable from the outside internet. Um, and what we had to do is find replacements for this, um, also check whether those replacements are valid replacements. Um, sometimes, at least in my opinion, some of the replacements are even better, but others um, are maybe a bit worse, so that's a bit difficult to balance. Um, and I think this is something that SAP in general still needs uh, to work on, which SAP is actually doing. Um, I just got an email a few days ago um, that we are now part of a program 
um, to, to check GitHub security um, tools that are there to check whether we can certify them even internally. So um, externally would be, of course, great in the, in the open source repository, um, but internally for the internal libraries, that would also be very helpful. Let's maybe turn to what are the biggest improvements that have come about with being open source? Yeah, I mean, we mentioned already the support and the direct contact to customers and so on. But what was one thing I was surprised or didn't think about was when we um, were hiring new colleagues. So um, when we have done interviews with candidates, it happened that the candidate could just look what is the the code or the, the project, what are the call I mean, the potential colleagues are doing. So um, when they were interested, they saw, ah, okay, they were currently implementing some new XYZ feature, um, doing the reviews like that. This is their stack, their the, the technologies they're using. Um, so this is this was very cool. Um, and also shows then that the candidate was really interested. And then also once they once they um joined, it's a very standard tooling. So GitHub and the, the tools, if you have done already some projects, even if it was your TGI Friday um, product, uh, project, you know the tools. It's not something uh, closed, only SAP users. So this also speeds up the, um, the, the, the onboarding of new colleagues. Um, yeah, we, we had in the beginning a bit problems um, using some libraries which turned out to be solvable. Um, this was also um, very uh, positive. And um, you cannot, I mean, you check then all the libraries you use and see are they all possible to use in open source? And if not, you have to find replacements. And it turns out that the open source world is, is very big and you find, I mean, we find in all places even better libraries to, to replace the ones which are under a license you could not use with our Apache license. Um, so this was also a very pleasant surprise. And in most cases, also when we had then issues, right, some security stuff and so on, um, the time to fix these, I mean, in the libraries we used that this got fixed uh, was very quick. So um, you could also say, yeah, if you don't pay for it, what is the time until they, they fix an issue in some public uh, open source? But it was very quick always. Um, I mean, there are exceptions, um, but on average. How about documentation? Does that work well? Yeah, I mean, there we, we follow, I think I think it's rather standard, this GitHub pages, right? So when you have a GitHub repository, there's sort of related to it some 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 GitHub tool which creates some documentation for you. Um, and we just use it. And yeah, I think it looks rather decent uh, without much work. Um, good search on it when you search for keywords and so on. Okay, that's kind of a standardized way, it seems. Uh, how about like uh, the, the, the learnings when, for instance, uh, you have to replace a library due to license reasons or something? Do you doc document that also somewhere? Or is that just inherent in the code then? I would say it depends on the size of the change. If it's just a small replacement, it's I would say it's just in the, in the code, right? Um, you see the code change. If it's a bigger issue, of course, there's then some uh, architecture decision records saying, yeah, we want to do that because, and then some discussion. And then there are uh, yeah, bigger documentation on these changes. 
because very often if you replace a bigger library, this perhaps or most likely also comes with some behavioral changes. Um, so you have to see if you can keep your API contract or you have to introduce a breaking change. Um, yeah, so a new major version. There you have to be careful, right? Uh, I mean, if, if you have a few 10,000 downloads a week, you already realize when you change something in your API, um, even if it's not a feature with you, which you publicly communicated, some, let's say, hidden hidden thing, people rely on that. They find that. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, once it's out, I mean, they even if it's not part of your of your public API, they find, I don't know, it's always sorted. I mean, it's not specified that it's sorted, but it's, it's it has been and you change it, they will open an issue. Yeah, it's not sorted anymore. And um, so you have to be careful. Yeah, I mean, we're even we're even speaking open source here, and I know uh, they even find the APIs in the proprietary software that were not documented and not meant to be ever used by anyone. Um, but let's not speak about that one either. Uh, we've spoken about uh, documentation. Uh, that leads me to the question, where do people go to get started uh, when they want to use the SDK, get involved in the SDK, just the GitHub pages, or is there anything else you want to point them to? I think GitHub pages is a good spot. Um, do I know the URL from, from the top of my head? Uh, it's sap.github.io slash cloud SDK. And I'm pretty sure we'll have that posted uh, under the podcast once we publish it. Um, right. Okay. Um, I think we're almost at the end of uh, things we wanted to talk about. Um, maybe you have, uh, for everyone out there, your three main things, takeaways that you want everyone to remember from this podcast. I don't know. How do you want to do it? Take turns, maybe. Well, ladies first, please. Sure. <laughs> Okay, I think uh, the first thing that uh, probably is quite generic, but um, nevertheless, something that I want to mention because I think this is very important and uh, one of the major takeaways um, that, that we had, at least um, transparent uh, support channels. So through this transparency that we now got um, for ourselves, but also for the users, we overcame a few issues First of all, the many channels that we had before. So before we supported different channels, uh, we still support all those ch channels, but we still focus on the issues in GitHub. So even if there was an issue somewhere else, we create our own to track it. So there's um, basically one source of truth. Um, and the, the other problem that is solved by that is um, trust. So I think the transparency that we have through the support channels currently um, gives customers bigger trust. Okay, that's one. Yeah, for me, it would be this, um, I would call it self-discipline, so that you are exposed and you always try to be the best you, um, be be polite, deliver on the best quality, um, and always try to improve yourself. That is almost uh, a wisdom with a picture to be posted on the internet. That's two. <laughs> Okay, and the third is um, we started off on a bumpy road um, with this whole project, um, starting internal and then moving it um, to open source. Um, some things were harder, some things were easier. Um, but I think, and uh, we have experienced this also with the extension project uh, where we supported 
that once we pave the way, um, it will get easier. So every new project will have it a bit easier. Thank you very much, Marika, and thank you very much, Frank, for being our guest today. Um, everyone out there, thank you for listening in and uh, hope you'll be back. Uh, new episode out every last Wednesday of the month and you can find the episodes and the whole list of episodes uh, on all the usual podcast channels on uh, OpenSAP, but also on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. Thank you again and let's all say goodbye. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks for having us. Bye. Bye.